Welcome to the Salad Days Podcast, featuring interviews with your favorite artists, talking about their musical origins and humble artistic beginnings. Join me, Dave Ulrich, as we travel back to the early days and hang out for a bit. Our journey this week features our special guest, Grant Lawrence. Now, of course, some may know Grant from his amazing band, The Smugglers. Some may know Grant from everything he's done with CBC over the years. Some may know his amazing books, including Adventures in Solitude, Lonely Under the Rink, um... But Grant is someone that I met way back in the early days playing with the Inbreds. And uh, we got a great chance to uh, catch up here in what is episode 16 of Salad Days. Effectively, the I don't really have seasons, but this is like the first one of the second season, effectively. Anyway, uh, but the stories continue, and uh, it was really great to get together with um, Grant and uh, you know just kind of talk about the kind of say the early 90s uh, indie scene. And then everything that comes out out of that, including an amazing embryonic track. So here it is, Grant Lawrence. Salad days, salad days. On the road. I just like, can't even imagine it now. Can't believe we actually did it. But anyway. Well, uh, but I like it though, because that's, like... that's exactly where we're hoping to go, Grant, to, your, to the youth. We want to go back. We want to go way back. No. So, okay. So that, so the. The uh, initial thing I like to talk about our point of common connection. So I was saying that um, we we met, we did meet at this show at the Caribbean in Kingston uh, with my earlier band called the Sea Monsters. But it was this uh, many years later when the the Inbreds were um, kind of just getting going, and we had a chance to go out and I think play Music West and Mint Bill or Randy. Some of those guys connected someone to pick us up at the airport, and that was you, and you were in full. Uh, like you gave us the full tour of the city, um, you know, uh, you know, and we had a bunch of f- friends in, in, in Vancouver too. So, you know, we'd, um, you know, we had been there and we knew some things, but it was just the, the most intense Grant Lawrence tour. And I really didn't, hadn't, didn't, you know, didn't know you yet, uh, at that time. And so it was just such a, um, amazing introduction to the city and to you again, even though we had been there before, what do you, what do you remember about that time? Or do you remember why you were set to pick us up? Well, first of all, I don't think it was, quote, many years later, because, <laughs> I mean, what year, I mean, I think it was like one or two years later, it might have seemed like a lot, but I think we first played in Kingston in, you know, 93 or 94, and then you would have, maybe 92, okay. Um, okay. but then it would have been like early 90s, mid 90s that I would have been meeting up with you guys, but I, um, I've lived in Vancouver all my life and I have a ton of pride for Vancouver and Vancouver is a very kind of geographically bipolar city. So we have a spectacular waterfront and incredible world-class beaches. And then we also have you know, one of the poorest postal codes in Canada or North America. And so uh, we have these real extremes and I like to show people those extremes and uh, with, with the right amount of context. So uh, I appreciate that you remember that tour and everything that I threw into it because yeah, um, (laughs) 
You know, it's funny. I think I learned that from my dad because first impressions mean a lot. And if you're on tour driving in, you get off the highway and you drive through East Van and to get to the club area, you often have to drive through Hastings and Maine, which is that really gritty, poor, drug-addled, yep. uh, very... It's it's a neighborhood on the edge all the time. And so what my dad did way back in the 60s to convince my mom to move to Vancouver, he picked her up at the airport and he drove her across the Burrard Street Bridge where you can see yeah, Burrard yeah. Inlet. And then he took her down onto Beach Avenue and where you're driving along Sunset Beach, English Bay Beach into Stanley Park. And I'm pretty sure that's the route I took you too because that is, and when I say you too, I don't mean the band, I mean the inbreds. Um, <laughs> that is where you just get this incredible first impression of yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, for sure. Like, where are we? Like, are we in the tropics or something? And that can happen like at any time of the year. So that that's what I remember. And I remember you guys were both uh, really nice, both quite impressionable yeah. and also uh, a good audience for, for my, for my gags. <laughs> <laughs> which you is know, a rates very highly in my world the, okay so the funny part is about that uh you know i think i've read i believe i've read all of your books i think i may have been given oh, almost every you. single one of your books by my wife for christmas over the years and so I, and i've listened to so many uh, conversations with you on podcasts wow, I used so to listen you're to, the one wow yeah, thank you <laughs> exactly radio three podcasts like way back you know uh, TV, all the things that you've done over the years, but we'll, we'll get to some of that. But my first question that I actually asked just to set the tone, we want to go back into your, when you grew up, but you kind of already answered this question, which is very simple, which is just tell me where you're joining from today and where you grew up. And I'm pretty sure the answer in both cases is Vancouver and Vancouver, right? Um, well, I grew up in uh, a suburb of Vancouver, as so many of us did. We we have often, you know, our roots lie in the suburbs and uh, my suburb was West Vancouver. That's where most of the smugglers are from. My band, uh, we were really lucky to grow up with Nardwar. And we grew up in in an all-ages, kind of um, community-oriented DIY scene there. Lots and lots of bands, lots of musicians. So we were very lucky uh, to grow up in that very privileged background where we had you know, resources and parents that could you know fund hobbies or at least put up with them you know what i mean provide yep. practice spaces all that kind of thing uh i realize now is from a place of privilege and so we're very lucky to have that and you know all sorts of bands emerged from that scene spirit of the west was one of the biggest ones nardwar's band the evaporators uh the yep. smugglers came out of there i remember in high school a uh, very, very, very musical high school. In one stairwell, there was a massive uh, mural of the Cramps. You know your high yeah. school is cool when there's a Cramps mural uh, done by Clark Gatehouse, who was, his nickname was Turk. And then uh, this band called The Fourth Floor was the first band to, they were a, a kind of a goth new wave band they put out an actual record, which I have back here on the shelf. Nardwar okay, tracked it okay. down for me. And that was where I grew up in this kind of mountainous sort of, you know, there's a ski hill at the top of our town called Cypress Bowl, where 
uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, the Robert Altman movie was filmed and yeah. more, maybe more famously where the 2010 Olympics were held in part. Yep. And then down at the bottom of the hill, there's more beaches, you know? So yes. I grew up near Dunderay beach and there's beaches all the way along the waterfront. And so it's a very beautiful area. And uh, now I live in East Van. A lot of the people that I grew up with in West Van uh, kind of migrated to East Van because that's where we can afford to live exactly. in Vancouver. And that's yeah. not without its controversies. And uh, to the point where some people call it West Van because so many kids <laughs> that grew up in West Van ended up in East Van. Uh, the first question in in getting going, kind of going back, uh, I I don't have a name for this question, but I think um, my friend Jane that does the Music Buddy podcast, I think named this one. I'm going to call this "What's on the Stove." And okay. so the question is basically, we're in your house growing up, and it's like a Friday night uh, or Saturday night back when you're in high school uh you know what's what's literally what is on the stove or what's in the oven what do you think of when you think of your house and your family uh, one thing right away craft dinner there you go (laughs) uh friday night craft dinner for sure uh and and i remember the craft commercials i think craft were the sponsor of the beachcombers Oh, and nice. my sister and I used to always go like, because cheese looks so gross in those commercials. <laughs> and they, that was the exact opposite um, aesthetic that they were going right. for. But my sister and I would be like, oh, that cheese is so gross. It's so disgusting. And I remember uh, my mom literally had to show me that the cheese for the craft dinner, so we would eat it. She's like, look, it's powdered. It's not these weird slices and chunks that you right. see. Uh, at the commercial <laughs> at the end of the beach moment. So don't worry about it. Just please eat this. So yeah, craft dinner, big staple, uh, also Canadian yeah, and uh, made famous, I think in one of those bare naked ladies songs and uh, just a weird Canadian thing. Uh, they, they call it something different in the States. Um, noodles in a box or something. Noodles in a box. Know. We'll say, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So that's, that classic imagery is what I think of Friday nights in the seventies and eighties in West Vancouver, craft uh, uh, dinner simmering on the stove. Funny part is I was going to like the kind of the second part of that question usually is what, what are you watching? Right. And you're always, you're always on brand for grant. I got to say, <laughs> if you're going to say you're, it literally is the beachcombers. Is there something else that, is, that check you this know, out. I just on the- <laughs> check this out. Somebody just, this is a garbage can. And and look at look at this. CBC oh, so TV Sunday at seven. Beachcombers. Yeah, this Very is nice. a, a beachcombers bumper sticker on the side <laughs> of a garbage can. And a neighbor of mine recently, like you know, like a waste paper basket. And yeah. um, somebody recently, a neighbor of mine said, "Hey, you're into the beachcombers, right?" And I said, "Well, yeah, yeah." And uh, they said, "Look here, you can, do you want this garbage can?" Now, most of the time, I would say like. In 95, maybe 98% of life, if someone says, hey, do you want this garbage can? <laughs> the answer is usually no, unless you are a garbage man, um, which I'm not. I have full respect, though. And uh, But I said, yes, I want that garbage can. And now it's my g- garbage can in my office here. That is so, epic. Um, thank you very much to the person who uh, gave me that Barb is her name and her oh. husband used to work on the show. 
uh, well, side note for my, my room growing up, I remember my garbage can was an empty KFC bucket. Oh, what? disgusting. <laughs> so there's like residue in there and mold and, but and just the right water. size though, Grant, you know, just Stemmella, the right size <laughs> bacteria. That's okay. Just, okay. So, so we're, we're, we've got this, uh, this vision of the, the house. Um, g- g- remind me of the, again, I've read all your books, so I should, I should have all this, you know, drilled in my brain, but remind me of the makeup of your family, the uh, brothers, sisters, mom, dad. Growing up. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I've written a lot about my family dynamic in, in my first book, Adventures in Solitude plug, but yes. um, it, it was pretty conventional. It was my wilderness loving, tough alpha stocky athletic dad my preppy mom who was not that athletically inclined or or wilderness inclined and then the two nerds that they shout out um myself and my sister (laughs) mega nerds who are who would much 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 rather watch a little house on the prairie marathon than actually do a marathon like my parents would do right right and so we were tv kids like major 70s and 80s tv kids like we were obsessed with the tv and my dad was really concerned about it so he would constantly try to drag us into the wilderness i i think it was because of like the beachcombers and happy days and danger bay that we and our obsession with with shows like that or and that sort of rerun syndication lineup after school yeah where it'd be like mash and you know three's company and the love boat and you just sit there like kids would be like the love boat. <laughs> exciting and and your parents would be like turn that off and we're like no we can't clinger's a guest star um, or charo's on again and uh so but it was like hours upon hours upon hours of TV. And I, I swear my dad built a cabin in a place called Desolation Sound. Oh, yes. Yes. Which yes. is like road, no, no boat access only, no electricity, no nothing. Uh, just like it was like cold turkey on electricity. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons he chose that spot was to basically wean my sister and I off of like a steady diet of constant television. Yeah. So that was our family dynamic. I mean, my sister and I were so big nerds and, uh, and very uncomfortable outside, you know, not sporty at all. Didn't play on any sports teams. Uh, didn't do literally the first team that I was on was the smugglers, you know, my band, which changed my life in a lot of ways because it wow. sort of pulled me out of nerddom and kind of made me appear to be cool. I, so, I was going to grant, I was going to take a crack at trying to do another, uh, you know, tag reference on another one of your books, which is lonely end of the rink. Yeah. And that to me, uh, coming off what, what you just said, I recall, uh, a lot of, uh, discussion in that book around the idea of similarly, the connection with your parents and how, Hockey was something that you did, but maybe you didn't really want to do. And then, you know, now that you're grown up, you, you know, you kind of came back to it and all that kind of history of hockey. Like I never played sports at all. So I was the same. I watched TV. Yeah. 
yeah. endlessly all the same literally the same shows <laughs> and we didn't have access to a to a cabin but we used to i live very close to like a kind of like a creek and so my equivalent of that scene was that's that's where i used to go on the weekends to yeah, creek, dis- creeks disconnect. are awesome Cre- yeah. creeks are cre- creeks and rivers are never ending just i mean i grew up near a creek too and uh when i was forced outside i went down to that creek and it just there's something about the flow of the water where it's just endlessly entertaining yeah i agree um, i guess you know there's probably something similar mentally like you know, where a television, there's always moving images and a creek is always moving too. Yeah. And the yeah. water is always finding its way down. You try to dam it, you try to block it. It's an amazing uh, thing uh, to have near you. And sadly, in East Van, the, the city planners, like just so mental, they paved over all the creeks and rivers in East Vancouver. Jeez. So on the North Shore, because it's a mountainside, there's creeks and rivers everywhere flowing down from the mountains and over here in East Van, there's nothing like that, which wow. is sad. But anyway, um, to go back to your point about hockey. Yeah. So my dad, Jock grew up playing all the sports, grew up on hockey teams for years and grew up. We grew up one of the, the, the only time my dad commanded the television was hockey night in Canada. Right. And for a while there, that was like, just like white noise to me, like (laughs) the crowd, the commentators, the sound of the rink, but it almost like Stockholm syndrome. I would slowly get into it. And my dad was a Maple Leafs fan. Then a Winnipeg Jets fan, then a Vancouver Canucks fan. And so by osmosis, I became a Canucks fan. And, but uh, hockey is so much different now. Like, my son plays on organized teams and it's like kumbaya love in, you know, it's like the first Woodstock on yep. ice with his yep. team, like total acceptance. It's like the United nations. Um, and whereas incredibly diverse and, and beautiful, it's like this incredible mosaic of cultures coming together in one hockey team. When I was growing up, the worst bully on the ice was our team captain. Right. And I was bullied right out of the sport very quickly. uh, And, and I just couldn't wrap my head around that. And, and as you said, that's what the lonely end of the rink is about. And I, I kind of in adulthood, I felt there was this piece missing in my life, this piece of Canadiana, which was hockey. And here's another little reference point. Oh, here we go. Another visual Um, for, for viewers. This, this is my hockey team now. And that's a, a championship winning <laughs> pitcher, which is something I never thought I would do in my life was win something like a hockey championship as a goalie, but you never know. And so I'm very proud of that. And, and that was an overtime championship win and just stuff like you never predict that you would ever do, especially when I was that nerdy kid that was afraid of anybody in a hockey yeah. jersey. Okay, well let's 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 peel back into some music talk here for a second and, okay. and talk about. I, I'm looking again. This is a, this is an audio only podcast, but I'm seeing all this amazing vinyl behind you, and I'm betting yeah. some of this is from your youth. Tell me what was playing in the house. What kind of? I'm assuming it probably was vinyl, but specifically what kind of music? And was it your parents playing it, or you playing it, or what? Kind My of things parents weren't that into music, and I was a weird anomaly uh, because you know growing up in the 70s and 80s that was an incredibly exciting and groundbreaking time for music 
So you had everything depending on literally whatever you might have been into. So if you were into disco, there was tons of that. If you were into hard rock, there was tons of that. If you were into punk, new wave. Yeah. I mean, that was everywhere in the early 80s. And what was I into? Like earliest of 1950s rock and roll. Right. <laughs> which which made me a complete yeah. anomaly yeah. at my school. Not cool. So you know, when kids were into like in the early 80s, when kids were into ZZ Top and The Clash or The Jam, uh, I was into Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, <laughs> and, you know, maybe the earliest Beatles records. I just love the insurgency of really early rock and roll. And the reason I got into that is my parents had like almost nothing when it came to music. Right. Uh, they had just like greatest hits and like A, B, C, like it was as if they didn't want to go any further in the musical alphabet than C. And so C. it was like ABBA and then the Beach Boys, which is as risque as they got. <laughs> and then the Carpenters. And then after that, it was just, that was it. Game but they over. did have one Dick Clark compilation album, American Bandstand compilation album. And there was a bunch of cool old rock and roll songs on that. And that really got me going and, got me digging like crate digging going down to the mall going where back then when we were growing up as kind of depicted in stranger things now <laughs> the heartbeat of the mall was the record store that yeah, was like where people just went yeah. it was usually in the main plaza of the mall and it was you know vinyl cassettes and you just look through until you found it and and you could find cool stuff in suburban malls yep and so and I remember seeing the cooler stuff. Like I remember seeing the Smiths, uh, the meat is murder with the the helmet. And I remember seeing all those records and my friends were into them. So I was aware of what was going on. I was aware of the police and I was aware of all these, this yet another wave from England, but I was fully into Chuck Berry and little Richard and, and stuff like that. A lot of uh, early black rock and roll. So but then I started influencing my friends saying like, we got to form a band where we play yeah. music from the fifties and sixties. And they all thought I was like the biggest loser. And it took me a long, long, long time to convince like four or five kids to play songs from that era. So Grant, that's a very good segue to move into your embryonic track because, uh, the detail that we're, we're going we're gonna to give a little listen here, but this actually is a cover of the Sonics from 1966, and the song is shot down. And here it is right now. Play the 
Okay, so we're back. Grant, that song uh, has really got a lot of cooking going on. And <laughs> it kind of reminded me of uh, when you sent me the track, there's a visual to go with it. But it's the way I, the, the way you guys are literally like standing bolted on the ground. And you're just you're just doing that, 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 that sort of relentless uh, rhythm groove there. And tell us uh, the details of the song, how old you guys were, where you recorded it. Um, such okay, a, such a well, amazing track. Well, that was track. very, very early days of the Smugglers. So our first high school band was called the One-Eyed Jacks. And that was when I managed to convince about three or four or five people, including Nick from the Smugglers, to play in a band that played... 50s and 60s rock and roll music. Yeah, yeah. And one of the big swaying factors was the movie um, Back to the Future. Because when right. that came out, it was a huge, huge hit. And it was set in the 50s. Yep. And a bunch of that music, like the sound, you know, J Johnny Be Good, I think, was on the soundtrack and stuff like that. So that got into the zeitgeist. And then and then Nardwar, who was a few years older than us. Good old Nardwar. Uh, he got into the Sonics. Yeah, And the Sonics are often considered one of the prototype punk bands. Uh, just an incredibly raw garage punk sound. They're from Tacoma, Washington, mid-1960s. Uh, you know, tougher than the Kingsmen, tougher than Paul Revere and the Raiders. Just And they, they were almost like a perfect band. Like, amazing lead vocalist, growling saxophone, like machine gun drumming. Yeah. crazy overdriven guitar. I mean, everybody from Nirvana to the Stooges credits the Sonics for kind of being a blueprint band. So I thought, okay, if these, if, if these guys aren't into, you know, that they, they all wanted to be playing like modern rock or whatever. I wanted to be playing fifties rock and roll. Maybe the Sonics was the bridge. Right. Right. And so I started playing these guys and Nick was into it too. We'd be playing these Sonic songs and they were like, yeah, this is like pretty punk. And so we learned shot down, but, but all the bands, like the Sonics became kind of a thing in our high school. So Nardwar's band, the evaporators, they also played shot down yeah. and then we yeah. copied them and we played shot down because the Sonics only had so many songs <laughs> and we were just, all the bands would learn these Sonic songs. You know, the, the, uh, I remember the odds, they were out of Port Moody. They were doing strychnine another sonic song so there was yeah. this kind of it might have been because we we're from the pacific northwest but anyway we we learned the song and then our drummer we were all about 16 17 grade 11 and 12 our drummer had been kicked out of school and was a little bit older and his buddy went to some trade school like a i forget bcit yes uh and and he was working on the television side of things and they said, Hey, we're allowed to record a band. So they brought us in and we were completely petrified. And as you say there, we were like, looked like we were drilled to the floor. But what's weird about that is that years later, the smugglers prided ourselves on being an extremely high energy band where we would try to defy gravity yeah. for 45 minutes straight during our set. And in this first early days, we weren't moving at all. But uh, that that the only real talent you can hear in that recording is our savant-like um, harmonica player, who was our secret <laughs> weapon for many years. 
Adam Woodall, yeah. who is still an active musician on the North Shore and just a he was an incredible, incredible harmonica player, uh, even back then when he was a teenager, just like insane how good he was. The um what, what another you know reference i mean you, when you think of the uh, the early days of acdc you think of the rhythm section the way those guys would just kind of like lock in in yeah. my opinion that's sort of another element of that vibe that you're getting in that song but so is is the actual recording of the song is it really just taken from the like you like is it, it's just the, like the video it wasn't was no, it in it the studio wasn't or anything like that. video like it was it went into like a mixing like it was a full studio thing so they filmed it and they recorded it. So there's a lot of reverb on it. And, and, um, but our, our bassist, Dave Carswell was a real ham. So he's having a lot of fun and he's imitating Nardwar started digging up all these crazy old sixties videos of bands performing on variety shows and stuff like that. And he found one of this Quebec band called Cesar et C'est Romain. And they were these guys who just dressed up as, romans right like with the the togas and the the wreaths in their hair and the bassist was just this ridiculously funky guy who danced all around and did all these moves on the spot right. so dave is imitating that bassist in that video dancing on the spot with all these crazy little moves and the rest of us are just trying to be as cool as possible and stoic kind of like the velvet underground or something another band that was one of those bridge bands yes. i I consider the Velvet Underground, Velvet Underground to be the blueprint band for indie rock. Like they yeah. are the, like if you listen to Stars, you could hear Velvet. And you know any band, um, they were like blueprint indie rock. Sonics were blueprint punk rock, and so uh, we were just trying to like I was trying to use those bands to try to lure people into the Smugglers so we could play you know the cool music that I wanted to play. But um, yeah, so Dave's on bass in that one. He ended up moving over to gu guitar. Nick moved over to bass for a while. We were, we kind of, it took a while to figure out what the lineup would be. And it didn't really solidify until our bassist Bees joined and he remained on bass. And then yep. Dave kind of got the dueling guitar action happening. Is there like a signature when you listen to that track, a signature element that you can hear that, you know, uh, kind of was uh, defined some things that came on later on, you know. Well, maybe... the harmonica was a big part of our sound in the first three or four years. Like our first single was our song called Vancouver BC. Yeah. And the yeah. harmonica actually provides the hook in the yeah. song. It's almost played like a keyboard or something like that. And again, it's credit to Adam Woodall's talent because the rest of us are just kind of slogging out through a sort of 60s garage style of music. But, you know, at the time, 60s garage was big because of, uh, mostly because of in Canada called the Gruesomes that a lot of us yes. were obsessed with. They did incredibly well on campus radio and they literally birthed, it was almost like that movie Gremlins where things <laughs> just started popping up like all over the place. These garage bands started popping up everywhere all across the country. Some were good, some were really serious, some were too serious. Out here on the West Coast, we were influenced, luckily, by a really fun band called the Young Fresh Fellows from Seattle. So the Smugglers were kind of a hybrid. We wanted to have a lot of fun and goofiness like the Young Fresh Fellows, but we also wanted to be cool garage like the Gruesomes. 
I thought too many bands were just way too cool for school because the gruesomes are a fun band. They joke around, yeah. you know, they have fun on stage. So many of these garage bands were just like the, the Ray band sunglasses. And, like, and, uh, and there was that in, in, in Kingston too. Luckily the Kingston scene was, was cool. There was, I remember Alan Wright who did cryptic times magazine. Yeah. He's gone now dead died uh, years ago but pat shanks i was just saying when when is the pat shanks reference going to come up yeah i mean you know (laughs) great great guy friend of this day he's been in a a bazillion garage rock bands yeah most that last for two three years before he formed something else um you know so and and that was part of the network that we connected with the gruesomes kind of started it then the smugglers picked up on it and it became like first a national network, then an international network. And that's what we would try to tap into with, you know, then we would share those contacts with Cub and, or with you, the inbreds, uh, or we would, you know, contact Sloan. They would give us contacts for the East coast. And then it, we started building up our community and our, our network essentially is, is what it all became. This could be a good segue to the next, uh, part which is maybe we bring in mint and some other things but yeah the question the the, the question is uh, i call it music becoming real so it's this point where you're a bunch of young guys you're playing music and you i mean you're really inspired and you love it and you wish and hope maybe this is something you might do at a bigger scale or maybe for your entire life in some way shape or form but there's some day or some point or something that happens where music becomes real um can you think of one day that that oh yeah i can uh, okay let's hear it I mean, we had like, you know, there was a lot of moments right we're fairly soon because Nardwar and I worked really closely together doing all ages concerts. Yeah, that's um, right. You know, so we would put on like shows when the grunge scene started breaking, you know, we were doing shows, putting on shows in Vancouver because of our proximity to Seattle. We were putting on shows for Mudhoney and we were putting on shows for nirvana and they would stay at our house and all that kind of thing and uh we we had that you know we would sell tickets the whole deal but the the moment where it felt really serious and real was when i got a phone call in my kitchen in vancouver and it was there was just craziness going on because there was a bunch of bands in town and we were Nardwar and I were putting on all these shows, Fugazi, and at one on a Monday, and then the Headcoats on a Tuesday. It was all because there was a huge festival in Olympia called the International Pop Underground Convention. Yeah, and we were part of that Northwest network, and so we were putting sure. on tons of shows. We were way too busy. It's <laughs> one of the worst summers of my life for stress. And then the phone rings, and it's like, hey, um, this is YTV. Uh, we're a television oh, yeah, network yeah. out of Toronto, yeah, yeah. and I'm calling to inform you that the Smugglers have won the YTV Achievement Award in the category of music. That's right. You've won <laughs> a trip to Ottawa to play on the national award show that will be televised. You have won five a $5,000 prize and a bunch of other stuff. And there was literally chaos around me. I, I think the mummies <laughs> and the head coats were staying at my parents' house. I'm on the phone trying to take this information down. And that was when it became real because yeah. that was in August 91 where we were informed 
And then they said to me, uh, you were chosen as winners by our judges, the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And I, and, and then I said, well, wait, how did you even know about this? And they said, well, we received your first seven inch single on Nardwar records that was sent to us by Nardwar. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh my God. Like it was kind of a total surprise that all of this came together. And um, so there was a big lead up to the show. The show was in like March in Ottawa at the national arts center. The host was Alan thick and there was all sorts of other kids that were winning awards for bravery and for like yeah, gymnastics yeah. and for sports. In fact, Clara Hughes, one of the most decorated Canadian athletes of all time, won the YTV Achievement Award that year for right. athletics. Right. And we were partying with her and uh, maybe a little too much, actually, <laughs> and uh, kind of potentially with an ill effect on her career. But then um, the band that won the year before us was the Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah. And, uh, and then the tra- uh, uh, pursuit of happiness were flown there too. Yeah. So we met them. We were like, thanks so much. Mo Berg and I, who are still friends, uh, we still talk about this. We like, bet. you know, you chose our band to win this. You changed <laughs> our lives because what that allowed us to do besides playing on national television was, and, and playing our first ever shows in Toronto and in Ottawa uh, was we were able to, with the $5,000, buy a real big honking Chevy touring van yeah. that took yeah, the yeah. smugglers around North America over and over and over and over again. And and so that was the moment where it, it felt it felt real. I, I think the, uh, the, uh, the inbreds equivalent of that story was the fact that we did a uh, battle of the bands at Queen's University and uh, they had a judge, and one of the judges was Jake Gold before he was in uh, Canadian Idol. And oh he, that God. was the first time he saw us, and that connected us to, in in a bunch of different ways, to the to the tragically hit. But I remember, um, you know, we, we we just knew that he was the manager of 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 the hit. But that, like, in a similar way, not that I see Jake much, but I have seen him over the years, and it, it's funny to think that you can. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Like I, I remember. I think I remember when you guys got that. That was a, that was a real game changer for sure. Yeah, it was, and you know, like on the bigger picture, like the winners that were around us. I think the order of the winners, and it, what's really cool is that I'm still friends with all these people. But the I think it was Bare Naked Ladies won the first year, Smugglers won the second year, Plum Tree won the third year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Tegan and Sarah won the fourth year. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, I kind of lost track. But two out of four of those bands, Bare Naked Ladies and Tegan and Sarah, went on to like major yep. fame. Yeah. And Smugglers did great. You know, we had we we didn't obviously achieve the hits of either of those those other two bands. But you know, we did a uh, had a great, great time. And Plum Tree did pretty well too. Like they're all you know Plum Tree Plum Tree's legacy is Scott Pilgrim. Yep. And, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the world that all started with a plum tree song. And, and so what's cool is that all four bands are in the pop culture lexicon of Canada and all of us won that YTV achievement award. I'm still friends with Stephen Page as well. I mean, those guys are all in the trans Canada highway, man. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of laughs because we have like 
30 years or more of history together of our stories kind of weaving in and out where we, you know, we, we touch base every once in a while for this or that or some other thing. And that, that's a beautiful thing. That's a really, really cool thing. Well, speaking of weaving too, it makes me think of the, again, going back to connections with, with mint records and with um, characters like, like Bill Baker and Randy and the band cub uh, because the, w- one of the first tours when things were really heating up for us, we were doing a, a tour opening for Cub right before we started going. And, and Bill came in on that tour. And yeah. so we became tight with with Bill and Lisa and everybody. Um, and and then, but then, you know, then I remember seeing, like I said, I think I the second time that I may have seen the Smugglers, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, Grant, I think you may have played in Kingston with with Cub. Is this yeah, possible? And the Hanson Brothers? Hanson Brothers, maybe. And it was in like a really, it was like in, in a... Uh, I want to say it was like a, in a convention room or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It was Pat Shanks put on that show as well. Yeah, I Pat think did. Was, or did you put it on? No, no, no. I no, I think it was Pat. And then I think yeah, it was Cub, Pat. Uh, I think uh, he, drummer he was, was sort of, Nico. Pat has been involved in pretty much every single show we've ever done in Kingston. Yeah. And so yeah. that was a big tour. Um, that was 1993. It was actually this, this one here. Nice. Yeah. First, yeah. first two weeks or three weeks was <laughs> the Hanson brothers, smugglers and cub. And uh, going across the country, Hanson Brothers' alter ego of No Means No. That was actually one of the first times as a adult, I was like, oh, hockey can be cool. These guys are kind of making it fun because yeah. they played as dressed up as, as goon hockey players. But um, we played at the Howard Johnson's Ballroom. Uh, wow, you got a good memory. Wow. And I remember uh, Pat Shanks did not want the Hanson Brothers to play yeah. and were outraged when I was saying they've got a headline, like they're really good and they're really big and it's no means no. And Pat was such a garage purist. He was like, no, screw them. The smugglers are headlining. And I was like, Pat, please trust me. You got to let these guys headline. And I, I think that was pretty much one of the most successful gigs that Pat ever put on in Kingston because of the no means no factor. Like people came from all over the place, but just to jump back to something that you said about that cub inbreds tour. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. Okay. Here we but, go. But um, the, the dawn of the tour, it started in Vancouver. I believe you guys flew out or something, or maybe just linked up something yeah. like this, but we were all at Lisa Mars house and you remember I they Bill brought me in to lecture all of you guys about how it was gonna go. I do not remember how, that. You don't remember that? <laughs> no. And I just stood there berating all of you. Was it about like, merch? Was it about merch? What was it about? It was about merchandise <laughs> and, and making sure you get paid and not giving the venues any merchandise percentage and not <laughs> driving after a gig and, oh, and yeah. all these rules of the road. And I was like Alec Baldwin in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, just standing over you and just berating you and saying, you think you're, you're hot shit on your uh, tag one Oh five label or whatever. Oh what yeah. It? Nice. Wow. Wow. Was it? What, what was, it was that? Called label tag. Called? It's called tag. You're, yeah. you're really pulling it out here, you know? And uh, with Nadine Jeleno, did she sign you? Um, no, it was um, um, uh, Layla. Jeff. Who Jeff? I don't know. I'm just uh, yeah, pulling names, yeah. yeah. pulling random, random names. <laughs> music and you got tagged. That's pretty good. But anyway, uh, but it was a big deal, you know. I mean, like you essentially got signed to a major label, yeah. and that was very exciting for all of us in the entire scene, and uh, because we all loved your band and we loved your songs, and it was a beautiful thing. And 
you were part of the weird Canadian two-piece, like speaking of no means no, yeah. the two-piece band movement where, you know, there was the inbreds and no means no and duotang and, you know, where there's these two-piece bands and, you know, you figured out something uh, very early on, maybe stumbled into it. Uh, keep the overhead low. That's exactly true. And that's what you guys did. You know, it's, it's the only funny. way to to have success in the music business is to keep your overhead low. Well, you mentioned the gruesomes before, and right ahead, and uh, deja deja voodoo, right? Remember those guys? Uh, same label, I believe, from Montreal. So another two piece, another two piece. So I remember we played early days, and I remember I think it was the drummer came up to us. We were playing at maybe Elma Combo. He came up to us after the show and just said. You know, like the kind of uh, knowing, uh, you know, high five or fist bump or whatever it was to say, like, nice job, guys. And uh, that was pretty cool. You know, I've, I, that's certainly a band uh, I've Tony never DeWald, seen. Tony DeWald, the drummer I think, of... I think it might have been yeah. Tony. Yeah. 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 Well, he's now out in BC winning awards all over the place for being a brewer. That's right. I remember I remember there was, I did a thing. Uh, I had had a sort of a segment in my Zunior site a bunch of years back, which was like, a, I call it, where are they now? And I was giving updates on where people were. And I remember doing that one about Tony. I, oh, might, cool. I might have even asked you about it. In fact, this is a long time ago, but because I'm, I, he was my, I, there was, is, is it, I, is it him or is the other guy in the band? Maybe kind of hard to track down. Am I imagining that? Are they um, both known? Ger Gerard Van Herk is a professor at Memorial University Memorial. in Mun, yeah. St. John's. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. He might be retired now, but that's what he did for years. I know my daughter's going to be home in about 20 minutes. So I will. Yeah, uh, my kids are about to pile into, into the house. Okay, so we'll move, we'll move to the last section here, okay? Okay. Okay, so, um, and it's very fitting talking about babysitters and kids and stuff like that. So the, the, the last section of the conversation is, uh, just call it Flash Forward, and we're just going to, skip by all kinds of amazing things that you've done over the years um, from those kind of early days and just, and just give, talk a bit about what you're doing today. Um, I'm actually quite interested in some of the projects that you're doing with CBC because uh, I'm not aware of everything that you're doing on the West coast. And then also, you know, kind of family update and maybe stuff like that. So let, let's uh, tell us what, what you got going on. Oh man. Um, so in, in specific, like with CBC or just in general, in general. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll start with CBC. So at the CBC, I'm currently, I've been there for 25 years or so, maybe 26 now. And I'm currently the host of the CBC Music Top 20, which is the weekly countdown show of the hottest tracks on CBC Music. So that's the most mainstream gig I've ever done in my entire life. You know, we're playing like Beyonce songs and stuff like that. So it's it's a, been a big change for me. And uh, then in my family life, you know, my kids are 10 and seven and they're busy, busy, busy all the time. My son's on a hockey team and my daughter's in Embers, which is the new name for brownies. And uh, my wife, Jill, is a touring musician, Jill Barber, uh, with lots of Kingston roots. Yep. And uh, she is on tour now in the States. She tours a lot. So I am often looking after the kids at home. Luckily, I, I sowed my touring oats years ago with the smugglers. <laughs> Don't need to do it as much. Yeah. But I do do my own touring show now. It's called Grant Lawrence and Friends, an evening of stories and songs, where I get to kind of, you know, tap into my love for music, where I get some of my friends, whether it's Jill or Joel Plaskett or Jay Malinowski from Beto and Sound Clash. I read stories from my books 
and they play songs in between the stories and it's been this kind of inspired by the vinyl cafe but it's done really well out here in the west and i just tour it to places i want to go to so like islands and nice I, towns you know i've seen I, ads for that show grant and i gotta say I, i've always thought it'd be very cool to see um you know zunior we have a connection with the vinyl cafe going way way back we're their like official store right and yeah, so and i've known Stu, you know i've known Stuart for a long time and i've seen so many of his shows over the years and when you started doing that i thought to myself um you, and, and the fact that you're doing it in all those different places too uh, yeah. it, it's very cool. I love it. And you've just, you've, you've really kept it going. I, I mean, I'd love to see it one of these days, but uh, well, one, you know. one of these days, maybe this summer, we we've always wanted to do one at the Regent theater or some venue in, in Prince Edward County. So yeah, because yeah. I, I don't necessarily want to do it in Toronto, but I, I like to do it in places like the County. You know, I don't really go out of my way to go to the big cities anymore. I like doing it in smaller places. Great um, idea. And then, and then I just, you know, the other thing that's a concert for me, uh, is writing. You know, I write books. I write both um, nonfiction kind of memoir style books, and I also write kids books. So right now, the book I'm writing, writing, working on is a picture book, kids version of my first book called Adventures in Solitude, which is about Desolation Sound. Yep. And the children's picture book version will be out uh by the fall i believe i think that's its release date so you know I, I guess in life like i'm a real archivist and historian you know like if you look behind me yeah <laughs> everything yeah. from behind me was is from the past you know yeah. like the smugglers albums all these <laughs> records you know these you know jill Still. on covers of various magazines and stuff but I feel like in life, you always have to have something to look forward to as well. For sure, for sure. So I always have a gig coming up or a book coming out, something that I'm working towards uh, on a personal and professional level, um, which keeps me driving forward. But I, I, of course, love looking back and reveling in all that we've done and all the connections and the friends that we made along the way. Because, you know, at the end of the day, all the friendships, like the connection with you and all the, the connections that I've mentioned and that we've talked about, those are worth more than any dollar you make in your music career or in any career, I feel, is the friends you have at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not money. And, and it's, it's the, the connections. I, I truly believe that you know like i got i got i, gotta, I, I love, gotta reference the oh sorry one last thing i, I want to say sure I sure yeah, yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> i love rolling into the farmer's market in wellington and you know i light up when i yeah. see you, you that's know, where i was because, going yeah <laughs> yeah because of the history that we have together and uh and we're and we're lucky that we're you know i always say like with the smugglers like the five of us we're all still alive yeah and i i think yeah. that's a really lucky thing it is i'm like we should do more shows because we're all alive, but um, some people have different opinions. No, I was going to, I was going to reference the same thing where, uh, so, uh, you know, for, for the listener, uh, you know, that I do, I do my lemonade stand at this, at this market in Wellington and every summer uh, in Prince Edward County, Grant and family come out uh, most, most summers. I, and I, so I, I often wait for the weekend. I think it's right around the middle of the summer and I'll see yeah, often each of you separately, maybe, or like you kind of come up and you all, you always get a lemonade 
And particularly yes. this last year, you you came over and you got a chance to watch me do my my song and dance. And I was, but I was able to talk to you like for a good long time, which was really great, just off to the side and people coming in and t- coming out. That's that's definitely like I really love that. And we're we're hitting all the you know, like that yeah, could be a podcast well, and, right and there. For, I think. For, so people know it's hard to talk to you because your your stand is so popular and you know my reoccurring gag right <laughs> yes, yes uh you your lemonade stand has a longer lineup than any inbreds merch stand that's ever true <laughs> so i remember when i first made that joke on instagram or something i remember chris murphy from sloan saying that is so mean I'm like, oh come on this is a joke i have no idea if it's true but the lineup for your lemonade stand is all is extremely long and you just crank it out and it's an amazing formula and you figured out again, you know, um, the low overhead secret in music. Yeah, that's true. You figured out how to, you know, make a buck with, um, you know, water and a lemon. Well, I've joked that like the inbreds was a two piece and we ran like a, a car or minivan and like lemonade Dave is like a one piece. Yeah. And I do, I yeah. do the same thing. I show up, I got to set up my gear, you know, and I, I do it for a couple hours. Then I, then I pack up. It's so funny. It's, it's almost yeah. like, yeah, it's like the it, merch and, table and, and, and the product. And, and there's a bit of performance in it. You know, you've got like a kind of an outfit yeah. and, and it's, and it's very simple ingredients. It is. It is. Yeah. You know, and, and incredibly high price. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that joke too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, the markup is amazing. <laughs> You never thought you would never think lemon and water would be so expensive, but it is amazing what you do with those products and incredible how people just fork the money over to you all day long. I'm just, well, well, you know, I've got the bottles now too, right? So, so yes, yeah, your bottle now. I I mean, we, we buy them at like the wineries and stuff. Yes. I don't drink wine. And so going to Prince Edward County, it's like, oh God, and, you know, being dragged to all these wineries, I always grab one of your lemonades. Okay. Well, I definitely like that idea of your uh, bringing your show out in the summer. That's something to, as you said, something to look forward to or something to work towards. I, I support yeah, that 100%. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out one of these times. The okay. problem is, is Jill <laughs> and her brother always get a gig. And right. then I'm like, uh, and then I'm like, hey, what about me? And they're like, what about you? <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe do you want to do it like a Grant Lawrence and friends? And they're like, we're not your friends. <laughs> I'm, your, I'm your wife. Like, and we have our own gig. We have our own career. I'm like, yeah, but I, who else would I do it with? And I don't want to compete with you. And, you know, there's only so many gigs the county can handle. And I so think the part I, of it, they, though, is, they, is the it's the telling of the stories. I think it would be like, again, I've not seen you do that live, but I think similar way that uh, vinyl cafe would blend the music and the stories yeah i can just totally see it right yeah the magic is the alchemy between telling a story and then having a song being played and there's something that that happened and you know Stuart obviously figured this out i'm ripping them off um or at least continuing that that lineage um but there's a there's something with the brain it's incredibly pleasing to the brain to hear a story and then have a song being played and the song doesn't have to have any connection whatsoever to the story. People love it. And uh, I love doing it. So I'll, I'll keep doing it as long as people keep showing up. Thanks. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's go to the, we'll, we'll, we'll land this, uh, we'll land this plane. And uh, I just want to ask you one last question, which is you're thinking of yourself 
uh, you, you, you get a chance to talk to young Grant, that guy with the beard, you know, at the standing on stage. Uh, maybe he's, he's thinking about playing music. He wants to play music. He doesn't know what's coming for himself in his life. And you get a chance to talk to them and impart some wisdom based on everything you've done now uh, in music and in life. What would you say to young Grant? I would say, um, don't be so tough uh, or don't pretend to be so tough and be a little nicer in the nineties. <laughs> Cause I was pretty, I didn't, you know, like made a lot of friends and many of whom are still friends to this day, but there's a, I, I run into a lot of people that say, God, you were harsh in the nineties. Uh, you know, you were so mean. Are you, you kicked me out of mint records. Are you, hung up on me or you you made the sound man cry you know like <laughs> i i was kind of like a cross between like like don rickles and 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 sam kinnison or something <laughs> just like yeah fire, fire. and uh, and so i mean a lot of people took it in stride and with humor because almost everything i do is based in humor and i'm all, always kidding but I think I was a little harsh, so I'd say, you know, don't be so mean, Jelly Bean. Okay, that song is the classic Vancouver, BC by The Smugglers, taken from the Dirty Windshields soundtrack from 2017, and also uh, originally came out on The Smugglers at Marineland way back in the day. And earlier on in the episode here, we heard the embryonic track, a cover, Shot Down, from October 1988, and it's uh, the cover of The Sonics. And wow, what a bunch of great stories from Grant he really is one of the true great Canadian rock and roll characters. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, just digging back into the days in Vancouver. And he's so eloquent uh, in his understanding both of the city and the music scene then, now. And uh, of course, his very early love of 50s rock and roll influencing the whole thing. But I want to throw one out here. I think that uh, Grant Lawrence is such a unique character. Uh, uh, you know, contributor to, to Canadian culture, music, as I said, everything he's done with CBC. I'm going to put it out here right now. Uh, I think somebody should nominate Grant for the Order of Canada. Let's do it. Let's figure out how to make it happen because, uh, like I said, you heard it right there. Um, Grant is a Canadian uh, treasure. Art Bergman got it, and Grant, you're next. Thanks for taking the time today uh, to tune into the, the episode, and thank you, Grant, for all of your uh, great stories and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the, at the stand this summer out in PC, and uh, maybe see you doing Grant Lawrence and Friends as well in the county. Let's see how it goes. Anyway, thanks again for listening, and 
We'll be back again soon. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and tell all your best music-loving friends about it. Today's episode was brought to you by Zunger.com and me, Lemonade Dave. I've done a lot of things in music over the years, but these days, I mostly make bottled lemonade by hand in Prince Edward County. I'm going to crack a cold one right now. But if you're ever in PEC, be sure to ask for it by name and tell them Dave sent you. Lemonade Dave for a treat.